This evening, we would direct your attention in your Bibles to a reading from Psalm 73. Uh, in your pew Bible, if you're using that, you can find this on page 668. And then after we read from the Word of God itself, we'll also read uh, from our Heidelberg Catechism, which we believe is a faithful summary of the Word of God. This evening, we come to Lord's Day 22, and in the Forms and the Prayers book, in your pew rack, you can find Lord's Day 22 on page 223. We read first this evening from the inspired Word of God, uh, more specifically from Psalm 73. There we read as follows. Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace, violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance, they have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside you? My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Thus far, our reading from the Scriptures, we then turn to Lord's Day 22. And question 57 asks, How does the resurrection of the body comfort you? And the answer, Not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ's head, but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. Question 58 asks, how does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? And the answer, even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. So after this life I will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined, a blessedness in which to praise God eternally. 
congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I referenced earlier in our congregational prayer uh, the statistic that the general surgeon of the United States of America has just come out with. He has declared uh, that there is a health crisis in the United States of America, a health crisis of the rising rates of depression and anxiety, especially, not exclusively, but especially among young people. And I also had an experience this week uh, at a routine doctor's checkup uh, at Pella Regional Hospital. Uh, as I updated my information, an approximately middle-aged or maybe upper-middle-aged uh, lady to the cubicle to the left of me, and I wasn't purposely eavesdropping, but I couldn't help but hear her answer when the lady behind the counter said, you don't have any contact information listed. The woman responded, I don't have any. There's no one. And that struck me. No one? No one to put down as an emergency contact? And then I thought of Psalm 73. Whom have I? Now, thanks to God's good providence, I have an emergency contact at the hospital. In fact, I probably have a couple emergency contacts. But the sad reality is, is that there are many, many a person who have no emergency contact not only to put down at the local hospital or doctor's office, but the sad reality is that many, many a person has no emergency contact for eternity. Whom have I, says the psalmist. But then the psalmist answers, in essence, I have the Lord. Now, I don't want to suggest that the answer to the rising rates of depression and anxiety is a simplistic answer. I'm not saying just take a dose of Psalm 73 and all anxieties are immediately cured. But I would submit to you for your own reflection, is the rise and in the increase in anxiety and depression in part connected to the inability to answer some of the big questions in life? You know, there are questions, and then there are questions. There are questions of just mere curiosity, questions that oftentimes we cannot answer, but questions that our inability to answer really doesn't impact us that much. It seems like the longer I live, the more I find myself saying to various questions, I don't know the answer. But for a vast majority of that, it's okay that I don't know the answer. But there are some big questions in life. And if a person is unable to answer those big questions in life, I can only imagine the sense of anxiety and fear. The big questions such as, who am I? The big question, where did I come from? And maybe the biggest question of all, where am I going? 
Uh, secularism cut loose from the revelation of the Word of God is absolutely futile in its attempt to answer those questions. And so you have a whole world filled with secular humanists who have no idea who they are, no idea where they came from, and no idea where they're going. In contrast, the Christian lives by faith. And faith has the ability, based upon the revelation of the Word of God, to answer those big questions. Who am I? I am an image bearer of God. I have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Where did I come from? I have been created by God. Uh, Not just as one of the brute animals, but I have been created by God with a body and with a soul so that I have inherent value. And where am I going? I am going to eternity. Yes, my body one day will lie in the grave, but my soul will immediately be taken upon my physical death into the presence of God. And eventually, when history has run its course, my body will be raised from the grave and will be reunited with my soul. And I will enjoy eternal life with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. And that is part of the Christian comfort that we want to consider this evening in the time allotted to us underneath this theme, redemption in eternity with Jesus Christ. Noticing, first of all, that this redemption is with Jesus Christ in the intermediate state, and then secondly, this redemption is with Jesus Christ in the bodily resurrection, and then thirdly, this redemption is with Jesus Christ in life everlasting. So redemption which is accomplished for the Christian exclusively by the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but which includes redemption in the intermediate state, redemption through the bodily resurrection, and then redemption for life everlasting. First of all, then, consider with me redemption in eternity with Jesus Christ in the intermediate state. The intermediate state, a somewhat technical phrase that theologians use to describe that conscious state of existence, and we stress conscious state of existence, of the person from the time of their physical death to the time of the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Christian continues to exist in regards to the experience of their soul in a conscious state during that intermediate state, but how do we know this? Now, there are many, many uh, questions that I cannot answer about what life is like during that intermediate state, but God reveals to us uh, some points of truth about life during the intermediate state. Uh, And the first point that uh, there is is this, that our knowledge is based upon Scripture. And this is why from time to time, and maybe somewhat frequently, we point out the futility of secularism, and especially we seek to apply this to our teenagers and to our young people, because secularism is more and more influencing and impacting our society and also the educational institutions of our society. And I plead with you, secularism is a dead-end road. It's a dead-end road that leaves nothing but despair. Because if this is all that there is, then we well understand why many, many, many a person is depressed and anxious. 
But the Christian faith recognizes that there is the reality of the transcendent, of the eternal, that there is something more than what our eyes see and what our ears hear. There is the eternal realm. And in that eternal realm, there is also then the intermediate state. Uh, the soul being separated from the body continues to exist in conscious existence. And from time to time, not just in antiquity, but also we understand somewhat more in contemporary circles, there have been those who have denied the conscious existence during the intermediate state for some type of soul sleep theory. Well, we just give two texts that refute that whole idea of a soul sleep or that the person is unconscious during the intermediate state. And the first is the well-known parable. And we understand it's a parable, but parables have truth within them. The well-known parable of the rich man and Lazarus, as Jesus told it in Luke 16, verse 22 and 23, he says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, a figurative term for what we would call heaven. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he, that is the rich man, lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And you know the parable and the interaction, and we're not saying that everything is to be literally interpreted in that interaction, but it would seem very clear that this is a revelation of a conscious existence during the intermediate state. You can think also of the repentant thief on the cross uh, when he cried out, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And what did Jesus say? He didn't point forward to the coming of the bodily resurrection. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now there again, perhaps you say, well, it's not explicitly clear that the repentant thief would be with Jesus Christ in some type of conscious experience, but I ask what comfort would those words have been to the repentant thief if it was not for the reality of a conscious experience of life during the intermediate state. And so this is our hope. Our hope, we have it presently now, but our hope is based upon that there's more to life than just this life. That even after my body lies in the grave, that my soul will be experiencing fellowship with the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That my soul will be taken immediately with no delay and no prospect of some purgatorial purging by way of torment and fire. All of that is a diabolical invention to torment souls. The truth of the gospel is that upon my moment of physical death as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, my soul will immediately be in the unique and special presence of the triune God. And that gives a certain hope and a certain comfort based upon the reliability of the Word of God. But not only redemption in the intermediate state, but also then, as we consider in our second point, redemption with Jesus Christ in the bodily resurrection. 
You will remember the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And it's, it's broad, it's comprehensive, right? What is your only comfort in life and what is your only comfort in death? And it's not two different comforts. It's not like, well, I have this comfort for life and I have this comfort over here for, for death. No, the, the comfort is singular, but it's comprehensive in its application. In the midst of our life, we have comfort and Also in the prospect of death we have comfort. And the comfort is that I am not my own but belong body and soul. Now there's a danger uh, on the one hand of being materialist and and thinking that all that is worth any value is that which is material. That's the worldview of secularism. Now there's also another danger of of being overly spiritual and, and thinking that the body doesn't matter at all. Material things don't matter at all but our bodies do matter. And our bodies also have been redeemed uh, by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we recognize uh, that unless we are still alive when Jesus Christ bodily returns, uh, that our body one day will be committed into the ground. But not in some exasperated activity of saying, well, everything's over. And just in passing also, this is why typically, we understand that there are exceptions, this is why typically Christians have buried the bodies of their loved ones. And this is why we typically have committal services at the graveside. We commit the body of our loved ones who die in the Lord into the ground, yes, with tears, with mourning, but also with comfort and hope. We say, in essence, we know that that very same body will be resurrected by the power of God in Jesus Christ. And that person, body and soul, will continue to experience eternal life for the ages that are to come. We know this based upon the clear passages uh, of Scripture. And again, we just give a few examples because there are uh, so many passages. Uh, We pick, first of all, John 11, verse 23 to 25. And Jesus said unto Martha, your brother shall rise again. Lazarus has, has died. His body's been laid into the tomb. Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha, having faith in her heart, a faith that had lots of questions, but a faith that was true and a faith that was real and strong, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus seizes that opportunity to inform her about something more of the cause of the resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And in John 5, verse 28 and 29, the Lord Jesus Christ also said, Marvel not at this, the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. So the resurrection of the dead from the dead is a universal resurrection. Every single person in regards to their body will be resurrected. And while there is a universal resurrection, there is a world of difference within that resurrection. So the text says, some unto the resurrection of life and others unto the resurrection of damnation. 
but by the singular authoritative voice of Jesus Christ and by the power of Jesus Christ, when history has run its course underneath the providence of God, in essence, Christ will stand from the throne on the right hand of the Father, and He will say, come forth. And the graves will have to open up. And souls will be reunited to bodies. There will be a transformation that includes for the elect believer a reunion of body and soul. Now, I know that if you're going to look at this apart from the revelation of Scripture, you're going to think that this is far out there. This is something we hold by faith. But that my very same soul, that upon my physical death will be in the presence of of the triune God, that very same soul, unchanged in its essence, will be reunited, rejoined with my very body. Even though the powers of decay may have done their work temporarily in the grave, by the transformative power of Christ, my very same body will be raised and reunited with my soul so that my person will once again consist of these two constitutional elements, body and soul. In that way, imitating or reflecting the reality of Jesus Christ's own resurrection. And this needs to be our hope, and at times, and perhaps I'm overly critical, but at times you get to the end of a person's physical life and they die, and all people want to do is talk about the past, you know, I have a celebration of life looking, looking back, and there, there's times I just want to say, well, well, let's look forward as well. And, and maybe let's put the majority of our focus forward. Because I've heard of some bizarre, bizarre things that have taken place at funerals. I heard of one man, not in this community, who was buried in camouflage with his bow and arrow because he was going to be hunting in the afterlife. And this was all done underneath the broad rubric of a Christian funeral service. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if your hope is bow hunting and camouflage in the afterlife, you will be sorely disappointed. Our hope is in the new heaven and the new earth wherein righteousness dwells, where we fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is your hope? Is it only material, secular, here, now? If it is, then I gently admonish you to lift up your eyes and scan the eschatological horizon. Because the reality of the decay of our bodies is something that confronts us already in this life, but especially at the moment of death. But our hope doesn't end with the grave. Our hope carries on into everlasting life. And that's our third point, redemption in eternity with Jesus Christ in life everlasting. And I want to try to be clear about what eternal life is Eternal life is not just length of days extended 
quantitatively for a long, long time. Now, it does include that to a certain extent, properly understood, but eternal life is best summarized by our Lord in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you. It's that experiential knowledge of covenantal fellowship with God through Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so eternal life is a present reality experience now already in part. It's not just that we will have eternal life, it's that we do have eternal life. We have fellowship with the triune God. And not only now, but we will have, without end, fellowship with the triune God, with all of its blessings, with all of its privileges, uh, as are described in various passages uh, of Holy Scripture, Uh, but maybe none better or none clearer than Revelation 21, uh, verses 1 through 4. And so, if you've kept your Bible open, if you are so inclined uh, to not only hear it, but also to see it with your eyes. Uh, this is the progressive unfolding of the reality of eternal life uh, upon the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. John says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Just want to pause there and notice again the futility of secular humanism. If our hope is only in this life and in this earth, our hope will be disappointed because the first heaven and the first earth will pass away. And there will be no more sea, which is, is a, a figure of speech. All of the actions of the nations that, that fill up all of our news reports, we hear of this nation doing that and that regime doing these. And the book of Revelation paints the picture of the sea and its constant waves and constant turmoil. And that's what the nations do, but they will pass away. There'll be no more rising of the nations, no more tumult among the peoples. Because a new heaven and a new earth. And then I, John, verse 2, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Remember again, eternal life is that they may know God. The tabernacle of God is with men. The dwelling place of God is with men. Behold this remarkable mystery. God delights to dwell with us. From all of eternity, this was his motivation for redemption, to glorify himself by establishing for himself a people with whom he would dwell, a people in whom he would have fellowship and communion. This is our holy identity. And if I can grasp this, and if you can grasp this, And again, we're not saying that will completely alleviate all anxieties and depressions and blues, but it will be transformative. God delights to dwell with me. God delights to dwell with us, both now and also for all of eternity. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God." And then listen to these beautiful words, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Don't you find at times that the Bible is refreshingly real? You think of some of 
the tears that fall in this life, accidents that happen, surgeries that must be undertaken, diagnoses that come from medical experts that we never expected, the disappointments may be broken, hopes, dreams, relationships, Uh, whether literally or whether they are held back by a certain Dutch stoic personality, the tears in this life are many. Well, what then is our hope and our comfort? This, all of those tears will be wiped dry by the hand of our God with His fingers, so to speak, of grace and of mercy and of faithfulness. And so John can continue, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Sometimes people ask me these questions, what will heaven be like? And I have to say, I, 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 many times there are many things I don't know. Will we have, you know, if we have a scar on our right knee from surgery, will that scar still be there in the afterlife? I don't know. You can speculate, but speculation is always dangerous. This I do know, that in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more pain. Physical pain, psychological pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, it will all be completely eradicated. In this life, we do have pain. In that life, no more pain. Because of the redemptive work of our God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as you sit here tonight and reflect back upon uh, the opening illustrations that I attempted to grab your attention with, a woman sitting in Pella Regional Hospital's check-in saying to the person across the counter, I have no one to put down as an emergency contact. Do you have someone to put down as an emergency contact? Could you say spiritually, his name is Jesus and he is the Christ. And in times of emergency, he's always available. He always answers when I call. He's given me hope for this life, and he's given me hope for eternal life. I trust you do. I hope you do. I pray you do. But I just want to close by saying that if anyone hears these words, who does not have an emergency contact for eternity, it's only because you won't put his name down. And why not? Why not humbly say, Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me. Redeem, save. Because having that name put down in the act of faith brings comfort. 
both in this life but also in the life to come, based upon our being with him in the intermediate state, based upon experiencing the bodily resurrection unto glory, and based especially upon the experience of uninterrupted everlasting life. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we glorify your name for the great things that you have done through your gospel which you have revealed unto us. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we uh, do not have just merely hope in this life, but that we have hope in this life based upon the hope that we have in eternal life. Uh, help us to understand uh, these things uh, concerning the intermediate state, concerning the bodily resurrection, concerning life everlasting. May we have comfort in our own hearts, but Father, also open our eyes to our fellow travelers to eternity. For many of them are, are burdened with the futility of secularism or the futility of humanism. And may we seize the opportunities to show that we have hope for this life and for the life to come, that they also, uh, by simply exercising faith in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, can have eternal hope. So glorify your own name through the spread and the increase of the gospel. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.